0: afternoon and welcome to i forget which day of the festival this is because they all blend into one after a while but welcome to the festival of arts and ideas i'm so glad you're here my name is denise santi stevan and i curate the stories programs for the festival today we're very very lucky this is an unusual thing i think it's the first time we've done a live podcast from here we've done podcasts in the past but we finally doing it here from the from the festival Center. So welcome to a first. And this first is really amazing because we have women telling stories of reinventing themselves, which I think is a very exciting thing. I mean, right now you're inspiring me because I'm thinking, what's the next chapter? Mm -hmm. So um, Wendy Battles is the host of Reinvention Rebels, and Wendy is herself kind of a reinventer of sorts. She's done (laughs) a lot of things. So, I mean, she's traveled around the world. She's been a consultant, a voice actor, a health coach, however many things you can. But I think it's really important that she has brought this, and she's brought these ladies to tell their stories of what's happened with them, what they're doing, and why they've reinvented themselves. I think, I think it will inspire all of us to kind of look inside ourselves a little bit, maybe, and and figure out what's coming up next for all of us. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Wendy Battles, and she will introduce the ladies telling us their reinvention stories. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for
1: coming today. Thank you for being here for our first Reinvention Rebels live podcast. In addition to being part of the amazing Festival of Arts and Ideas, as Denise said, I am Wendy Battles. I am the host of the Reinvention Rebels podcast. And before I introduce these two amazing women, I want to just give you a little context for our conversation today because we are going to talk about all kinds of things related to reinvention. And it is our desire to inspire you, all of you, no matter how old you are, where you're from, what you do in your life, to inspire you about what is possible when we take a look at inside at ourselves and do some self-inquiry and start to see new possibilities. The Reinvention Rebels podcast was birthed really for two different reasons. I started it in October of 2000, so I can't believe it's coming up on three years. And it is stories of brave and unapologetic women. My idea was to celebrate, illuminate, and really elevate midlife and older women between 50 and 90 that have reinvented themselves to find new purpose and possibilities. So that was one idea because I know women that are doing amazing things and they often are unsung and people don't know what they're doing. And I do believe that there is a narrative which you're probably familiar with in our world, about the limits of women as they age and what people think they are capable of. And I believe that women can do anything. And I believe that midlife and older women, like my two friends that have joined me today, are amazing. That they have deep wisdom and experience and that they can fill us with hope and inspiration. Because I feel... Like when we hear stories, and sometimes, you know, their story might not be my story. I'm not going to be a quilter. Maybe I'll be an author. But I'm not going to be a marathon runner like someone I, who runs triathlons at 62 and is winning all these competitions like someone I recently interviewed. But I believe that we can all see new possibilities through other stories, that we can find something relatable even if it's an experience we may not have in other stories. And that really is the essence of the Reinvention Rebels podcast. And today we're really going to be talking about this idea of reinvention. And I want you to try on for size this idea that we may reinvent ourselves out of necessity, as Ellen will explain in just a moment, or we may reinvent ourselves by choice, as Lisa has done. So we're going to talk about the different ways that reinvention shows up for us. We're going to talk about the joys and challenges of that. Ellen and Lisa are going to lean into some of the really key things that they learned through their experiences. And we're going to talk about what might be next for them. So let me tell you a little bit about these two very extraordinary women. Lisa, to my immediate right, at 62, Lisa has been telling people's stories. But you're really 66, aren't I'm you? I'm
2: 66, yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I love it. I was like, wait a minute, that's not right. At 66, <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> Lisa Franco has been telling people's stories for more than four decades, as a writer, producer for the ABC television affiliate WTH, right here in New Haven, she has received multiple Emmy nominations and journalism awards for her documentaries. She also serves as served as public affairs director for the station before she became the Connecticut communications director for the American Heart Association, which is where I met mm-hmm. her many years ago. While Lisa's background also includes marketing, media relations, and public relations, these days she is an author, speaker, an antiques, and vintage dealer, and she's going to tell you more about how those things have evolved. And I also want you to meet Ellen Panky, who is, among many other things, an MBA, a storyteller, an artist, at 74 as a retired management consultant. She has literally come back to life, and you're going to hear her very compelling story, by by preserving her life stories of eight generations of gardening, scratch cooking, (coughs) quilting, fine art, crafts, and DIY. Wow. You both are so interesting and extraordinary. And one of the things I think that's interesting in just reading their bios is that you can hear... And it's probably true for many of you that we will likely reinvent ourselves many times over the course of our lives. You probably have reinvented yourself and you could go through a list of the things you've done differently and things you've discovered about yourself. And that's what I really hear already in just talking a little bit about them. So I'd like to begin with Ellen. And I want to ask you, Ellen, about this idea of reinventing yourself out of necessity, you woke up one day out of a coma and had to reinvent yourself. I'd love for you to share a little bit with all of us about what that experience was like. Are you thinking I'll have some of what she's having? Reinvention ripples are amazing, as you can hear from our discussion. They've put themselves first, decided their dreams matter and are taking action they have unleashed their inner rebel and are living on purpose in midlife are you ready to start putting yourself first and embark on your midlife dreams focused on what you want not others ideas of what you should do come check out my new audio course midlife reinvention from the inside out 8 essentials to greenlight your life i share my roadmap to get you started on your reinvention journey with the key components you need to navigate detours and get on the road to smooth reinvention sailing. Sis, it is time to give yourself the green light to shine in midlife and crush those dreams of yours with joy and purpose. Join today and let's reinvent and get inspired together. Details are in the show notes.
3: Well, I have a lot of degrees in a lot of different things, and I spent a great part of my working career as a senior corporate paralegal and a management consultant specializing in training and development. What do you give people who don't need anything? My family, my siblings had equal educations, have worked all of their lives. They didn't need anything. They would say, Mom. Don't buy me anything. Don't give me anything. So I started doing some of the things that my grandmother taught me. I grew up in a household with six, there were six children, my parents. I had four grandparents, and I knew my great-grandmother. We didn't watch TV. We learned handcrafts. We knitted, we crocheted, we canned, we gardened. We spent dinner at the dinner table, cooked from scratch every day. So what do you do when you get older? You go back to the things that you always knew. I woke up from a coma eight years ago. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I couldn't write my name. They put a pen in my hand, and I was looking at it. I didn't know whether I should eat it or what. I I, I had no clue. So... I progressed from then through physical therapy, I did Tai Chi, I did a lot of other things with my hand, and I was legally blind at one point. I can now see perfectly with one eye, my right eye, I'm totally blind in my left hand. I could qualify for, you know, the seeing eye dog, I belong to the National Federation of the Blind, and I said, you know, Growing up, my mother had two rules. You could not say that you were bored and you <laughs> could not use the word can't. So I said, well, what do you want to do? I was 66 then, I am. I will be 75 in November. I don't do anything I don't want to do. So about 20 years ago, <laughs> my mother said, wanted a quilt. I couldn't find anyone t- to pay for to make a quilt. Quilts cost thousands of dollars with the fabrics, and you you look at some of the quilts, uh, the Mormon quilts, some of the other quilts, and I couldn't find anybody to pay. I was making a ton of money, so I decided to buy the fabrics and do it myself, and I did. As a matter of fact, I I told my mother, Mom, the International Festival of Arts and Ideas has chosen me for one of the six artists, around the city you didn't even know that Wendy my I mother's like what is this artist <laughs> BS all the money we spent on your education <laughs> <laughs> the head of the arts I love it the festival of arts and ideas was one of my neighbors so people saw some of my things that I've done and they loved it and I'm like okay I'm not doing anything I don't want to do anymore Is this the point where I can show them one of something that I'm working on? So I do all of the traditional arts and crafts, Uh, knitting, crochet, needlepoint, macrame, you know, we canning, we had gardens, you cook from scratch, You all of those things. But I said, I want to do, I'm a master quilter, but I teach things, I gave Lisa a rock, I have a small YouTube channel, and I was showing people how to paint rocks like strawberries so the birds, the animals, don't steal your fruit and whatnot. And I recently started a challenge dealing with fabrics from Africa and boutiques, and because I didn't want to walk far with something heavy, I had a hip and a knee replacement not too long ago. I wanted to show you an art quilt that I started out as a self-portrait and it was going to be me, but I named her Miss Mignon because I wanted to make her fancy and not be vain. <laughs> <laughs> so the pins are in there because a quilt is actually three layers, a top, batting, and backing. This backing actually happens to be a 1943 feed sack. It was never used as a feed sack. I bought it new. And I put some beads on it and some other things. But I just wanted to show you what you can make with scraps and with nothing. And that's what I try to show people. You can take anything and use it for something. When I finish my quilts, I take and make key fobs, lanyards, out of little pieces of fabric that I sew back together. I
1: love it. I love it. So, Ellen, you talked about both this idea of you woke up from a coma and you had to relearn everything. everything. So, that idea of reinvention by necessity, but then also this idea that you are creating things, you're evolving as an artist, you are, you said, you only do the things you want to do as you age, and you've gotten very clear about that. What would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned from some of your reinventions? What's something that really sticks out that has been meaningful for you?
3: I learned that the past, everything you've learned in your life counts. Some of the things I'm doing, I'm writing a book. Lisa is a writer, and I'm tracing my 500, 700 years of family history and the things that I'm doing. I actually learned from my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and I want to be able to share this to others. These are things that pe- people don't do anymore. No, but, my daughter has a really fancy job. She can't sew a button on a coat if it comes off. She <laughs> can't have a pair of pants. <laughs> yeah, you know, I said, my, my kids don't want to lose this. Oh, my, I make too much money. Take this to the <laughs> tailor you know, or put it on Nana's bed. So I want to teach others. I don't want these traditions to go to heaven with me. (laughs) I'm saying heaven, but... (laughs) When I used to do certain things, like when I came home from Howard University, this is a quick story, and my friends and I went to the liquor store. Well, the guy at the liquor store looked at me and took one look. He says... I know who you are. You look just like your mother. Oh man, <laughs> oops. <laughs> you know. So there there are some things that could have been left behind, but you learn. And when you know better, you do better. Yeah.
1: And I, and I do love how you are creating this legacy in your family. By continuing these traditions, and even though your kids maybe aren't as into it—that's like me—I can't sew a button. I can sew a button, but that's pretty much it. (laughs) I love that you are creating this legacy for them, and I think that that's really powerful as a way to reinvent yourself, and that goes just beyond you, but to your family and
3: also to the larger community. And I'm a great grandmother now, so the gardening, the things that I do—I have a community garden right here in New Haven, and. My great-grandchildren, my children don't want to know. They're busy working. My grandchildren are adults. They're working. But my great-grandchildren think Nana is the funnest thing ever.
1: (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your story. Thank you. Lisa, you chose (laughs) to reinvent yourself. And you have a really interesting story about how Mm. that unfolded, which... Maybe it was serendipity, maybe it was meant to be, but I'd love for you to share with all of us how your reinvention started and has unfolded as both a writer and, you know, an author. Yes,
2: so it was it was partially by choice, um, but also I think there was a little bit of divine intervention, intervention in there. Um, as you mentioned, I have been kind of telling people stories for a long time, um, through the course of documentaries and then when I worked for the American Heart Association, we uh, talked with survivors of heart disease and, and ta- talking to them about how to tell their stories to help other women with, um, with heart issues and heart awareness. But um, I was laid off from the American Heart Association in 2009, and then it was like I wasn't expecting to be, so oh my God, what am I going to do now? And so I I kind of stepped back into my my writing, and I did some freelancing and things like that, Um, but I always knew in the back of my mind I had been telling people's stories on the other hand, I was also very, very interested in antiques and vintage, which I never had the time to do when I was working because I worked so many hours. Um, so one day I was up on Cape Cod, and all of a sudden I think, you know, my life just kind of turned and pivoted in a way that I never thought that it, that it would. Um, but the, that divine guidance kind of came in. I was looking at an antique store, and I was looking for things to sell for my for my shop, I went down into the basement of the store, and I was looking around, and then I turned around and, and looked into another direction, and there was this plastic laundry basket sitting on the floor, and there was a sign on it that said, World War II ephemera. Well, being kind of a journalist, you know, at heart, I was very, very interested. I walked over, and I looked into the laundry basket, and it was filled with love letters that were written by a um, young naval officer to his sweetheart, and they spanned about six years. And I reached in, and I I picked one up, and I I read it, and I literally just, you know, emotion flowed over me. It was so beautiful um, that I, I knew that I had to do something with these letters, and I eventually, I went back the next day, and I bought them. And I I said, well, what am I what am I gonna do? I don't know exactly what, but I went back into my my writing, and I said, I, I've never done, I've written all kinds of things before, you know, articles and all of that, and documentaries and specials, but I've never written a book. I have no idea how to write a book, but these letters need to be in a book. And so that started my 11-year journey. And uh, it was a emotional journey going through it to find the family, which I did eventually after three years. I found the family that the letters belonged to, and they were they were put into this antique store by accident. I met the woman who was the subject of most of the letters in the in this uh, in the book, and I got their permission to put it together. And there were so many obstacles, you know, that that came through along the way, where I could have just given up. But I knew I had to do it. Uh, I knew for myself and I knew for this family that I had to do it for them. And everything just kind of fell in place for me. And it took me 11 years, as I said, but I eventually ended up self-publishing um, My Dearest Darling, Letters of Love in Wartime. And uh, it, it really, you know, it changed my life. And I know we're going to talk about that. So it wasn't that I, I was saying, I, I said, well, I got laid off and now I'm going to write a book. But... It fell into my path, and it pivoted my life in a way that I just immeasurably changed it in a way I never thought that it would. And only because I kept telling myself, "I have to do it, I have to do it, I have to do it for them, and I have to do it for me to, to kind of prove that you know that I can do this." So that's kind of it in a nutshell.
1: It's really quite a story, and I think it speaks to this idea that often we're reinventing ourselves, and it is a journey. It's not necessarily like I'm going to go from A to Z and it's going to be all ni- nicely wrapped up because I don't think you, when you said you didn't, had no idea it was going to take you 11 years, no. number one, or that even three years to find the family. Mm-hmm. So that says to me a lot about your determination around this, like you yeah. really wanted to do this. And you said you had a knowing about it. Mm-hmm. Had, you had, had you had that feeling before, that knowing feeling that you had about this in other parts of your life?
2: No, I don't think so. I think this was um, kind of a, a turning point. That you know, I, I always knew what I what I did. I always loved what I did. I always loved telling stories of other people and, and issues and problems that they might have. Because being in, in public affairs is what we talked about. We talked about a lot of social issues. So, teen pregnancy. Um, we talked about the environment. We talked about uh, we did shows on domestic violence. All of those things. So I knew I was doing. You know, something good, and I think maybe that was kind of innate in me in my life, that I always wanted to do something, you know, good for people, and this is kind of the culmination, even though it's um, it's more centered on, you know, on maybe one family, but also it kind of pays, you know, respect to other couples that went through this and and had these sacrifices during the during this time in our history so it's it's a romance book but it's also very very historical Um, you get if you didn't live during that time you really get um, a sense of what it was like for these young couples and the sacrifices that they had to make Uh, and then you know he was fighting for his country but he was fighting to come back to her but it was something that I felt I needed to do for the family, even though I didn't know them. Uh, now they, they, this couple, finally they feel like they're my grandparents, mm-hmm. my second grandparents now. But um, what they, what I did for them, but also what they did for me, you know, to to give me this opportunity to allow me, a total stranger, to tell their parents' intimate story, you know, through this through this book. And so, it really meant a lot to me. I told you earlier; I cried, in many, many tears <laughs> during this uh, whole, whole project, this whole journey, which it really was, was a journey for me to do. Yeah,
1: it, it's really fascinating. And one of the things that I can pull from both of your stories, Ellen and Lisa, is this idea of thinking bigger about our lives, dreaming bigger, being willing to kind of get out there. I know that sometimes as we age we are contracting our world sometimes gets smaller or we may lack confidence in kind of getting out there when we look at the messages that society tells us about aging but you took a really different tact around that what do you think is the key for any of us women men any of us to dream bigger about our lives what what's one of the ingredients you think that is important for us to have that bigger perspective?
3: Well, for me, I know that there I couldn't fail. I had two parents that have been there for me unconditionally. My dad is no longer living. My mom is in her late 90s. And I knew that I could always go home. Mm -hmm. I knew that I could always go home. I always had a backup. My sisters and brothers like I've said, had good education. So we all loved each other, had each other's back. There was nothing I could do that I could fail. So the only thing I could do is rise higher and higher. They were the wind beneath my wings.
1: I love that idea. And And I think it speaks to this idea of foundation, of having a community, whether it's our family or it's our friends. We can find those people, what I like to call a reinvention dream team. But it's the people that believe in us that can support us when we don't always believe in ourselves. And that's what that sort of speaks to. I'm an only child, but
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I, I married into a very large family. My husband is here. And so that's, as you said, it's so important to have that, you know, to have that support but many many times I would be you know writing the book and how you have your acknowledgments. I would say a little joke about how you know I thank you thank you so much to my husband who without him I would have completed this book in half the time so (laughs) (laughs) he's holding his hands up but but, uh But seriously, he you know he was just he's very very supportive all the time for, of everything that that I do. It's so important for us to accept that, I think, because sometimes we you know we want to do things on our own. Especially with me being an an only child, you learn to do things on your own, um, and it's hard sometimes to accept help from people. So I think that's important in your life. It, you know, if you want to you know kind of get your whatever posse you have and you know accept that help from them and you know network with other people there's no way I would have completed this book if I didn't accept people's help um you know even just small thing not it was a big thing but to get the copyright information um to get the the copyright from the family I couldn't I tried to do it on my own. It was too expensive to go to a conventional copyright lawyer. I asked around, and I had a um, neighbor who worked with the Yukon School of Law. And they had a, a program where I could apply to the program. And I was I was accepted to the program. And they did all the copyright for me for you know, gratis. Um, but all those things along the way, even finding the family, I couldn't find them myself. And I asked somebody, do you know anybody who can help me find them? So they were able to hook me up with somebody who, who found the family for me in 24 hours when I couldn't find them in three years.
3: Amazing. So, Yeah, right, to so yeah. that I So did. accept the help, yeah. accept the help. And to that point, my, my mother was an only child. Maybe that's why she had six kids. But I always say that real friends become family. And family mm-hmm. is everything. You don't have to share DNA to be family. Mm-hmm. DNA does not make a family. It's true love, unconditional love and support that makes a family. So we can find our
1: people is what I hear you saying. In yeah. however that manifests as we're working through our reinvention journey. Ellen, something that you told me is that you have started this YouTube channel. And <laughs> since I've known you... You've always told me, well, I'm not that great with technology. I struggle with different aspects. So I'm really interested in how you started this other sort of another leg of your reinvention journey. You started this YouTube channel when you were a little tech adverse. And now you, if I'm not mistaken, go live twice a week
3: on your YouTube channel. I do. And I have 12... hundred subscribers who have become like my nieces and nephews. It's like Auntie, Auntie Ellen, I missed you. Uh, if I, I something happened to my Wi Fi last week and I didn't go on as scheduled. People were emailing me, are you okay? Is something wrong? But my part of my adventure is that I was in a horrid, horrible crash eight years ago and my face is totally different. I don't look anything like I did, well, maybe a little like I did for the first 66 years of my life, and part of my therapy, I, I see a therapist every Tuesday, I saw her today before I came here, and looking at myself, I hear my voice, I know that's me, but I'm like, why is that lady yapping her mouth? And she doesn't look like me. I had to learn to accept the person in the mirror for what I am. And then I realized that my face may not look like it used to look, but I'm okay. And people accept me the way I am, and they don't see anything wrong with my face. I had over 200 stitches in my face. I had to have a totally rebuilt new nose, cadaver bones in my nose, steel plates, screws, holding my face together. I'm like, I have a bionic face. And that, and then seeing with one eye, you know, the bright lights that you need to to film, the ring lights, they take me out with my glaucoma. But I finally decided, like, there's no such word as can't, just do it. If you need help, ask somebody, say, hello, can you help me? I can't get in the chair. Can you help me up the steps? People, real people are genuinely willing to help you if you will accept the help.
1: I love it. So that's just another great example of what that can look like. And when you have the (laughs) determination, because part of what I hear you saying is, I'm really determined, I'm going to do this thing, and I will find a way.
3: Yes, I, I, I looked at YouTube University. I looked at how other people were doing it. I looked at how other people went live, and even when things messed up, we talked about it, you know, on the way over here, you just kind of laugh it off and say, oh, well, that's messy. Okay, how do we just keep (laughs) kicking the can forward? Yeah, and I think that's also the
1: imperfection of being who we are. When we're authentic in that way, I think it says something to our audience when we can not have to do everything perfectly, when sometimes things are a little flawed, but that we're able to... You know, make yeah, light of it and like, have
3: whoops. fun with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Simil- Lo- love that one. <laughs> <laughs> similarly,
1: similarly,
2: um, I had to learn a lot about self-publishing. Right. So you know, I, I tried to do the conventional route, and it didn't didn't work for me. Um, but I then I had to try to figure out how how do I self-publish a book? So I had to learn a whole new realm of going about that and making sure I had the right folks working for me, working on the cover design, and, and all these different elements that when, you, you know, you sit and you read a book, you don't realize all the work that goes into it. And now I, I really, really uh, recognize, you know, all the different uh, iterations of, of book publishing and editing and all of those types of things that go into it. But I had no clue, you know, how to do that. And so, again, I could have said, forget it, I'm putting this down. But I ended up talking to people and, uh, you know, talking to other authors, other people who had published books before and said, how did you do this? And what about this? And what about that? So that really helped me kind of leaning on other people as well to help me with that process.
1: Yeah, I think there's something powerful about asking questions, being willing to be curious. And that's one of the themes I see with the women that I interview, that they are really curious, that they're not afraid to ask, that they're... Willing to admit, well, I don't know how to do X, but I want to do that. How can I learn? Or what can you tell me? Or where can you direct me? Are there other people that might be able to help me with that? So that idea of curiosity is this theme I see with so many of the women that I interview that are willing to kind of, you know, when you reinvent yourself, you're putting yourself out there. And sometimes it can feel a little vulnerable. They're doing things, we're often doing things we haven't done before, as evidenced by, you know, what you both are doing with your YouTube channel and with becoming an author. One of the things that I think about a lot when it comes to reinvention is something that both Ellen and Lisa really embody, And again, it's another quality I I see in the women that I interview that are willing to put themselves out there and reinvent, and that is the idea of permission, self-permission, giving myself permission to dream, to look at something larger than myself, to trust that feeling inside. And I think so often, you know, we live in a world where women especially, we do everything. We are often parents spouses friends we often hold the family together we're doing we're involved in the community we're doing so many different things but to give ourselves permission to focus on ourselves i think can take a shift often it's maybe a shift in our mindset so ellen and lisa what do you think is something that someone can do to give themselves Permission to pursue their dreams What what can someone do To kind of get started down that path Of I am worth the investment In this dream or goal That I have and not just someday Because I know we often <laughs> talk about someday But like I want to do this right now What advice do you have for Anyone that wants to do something And feels the need to Give themselves permission
2: um, I think to You know Realize how Realize what your self-worth is. You know, you, you, you're trying, as you said, you're trying to help other people all the time and taking care of all these responsibilities. But it's not wrong to put yourself first. And I know we've heard that many times, but it's hard not to. It's hard, too, you know, to do that sometimes. Um, so realize what, you're, what you are worth, what, what what you know, if you were going to put a, even a monetary value to it. But... That's how you know I I give myself myself permission to do that. Um, another kind of thing that I think is important is to make sure you try to step out of your comfort zone because you know being a caregiver or being somebody who is always thinking of others first—that's your comfort zone, right? So step out of your try. To, it's hard. It's very hard, but you have to try to push forward, step out of your comfort zone and, and you know, realize that there are other possibilities, you know, out there that you may have never thought about. I never thought about what I was what I was going to do. I never thought I would become an author, or write a book. But um, you know, I, I had to make itself happen for myself. But you know, realize your self worth and step out of your
3: comfort zone. And for me, one of the things, when I came out of a coma, my first therapist, I'm very independent. I've been on my own all of my life, and I've been very successful. And she looked at me and she says, Ellen, don't don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, sometimes our pride holds us back.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. When you need help, Don't be afraid to ask for it. You know, the day, the way the world is now, a lot of us are like afraid of this, afraid of that. There's so many boogeymen, so many bad things in the world, but there are so many good people in the world as well. There are so many people who are willing to step up, step out, and help you. If you ask for help and accept it, I mean, that doesn't mean like you accept anything from anybody. You know, trust your gut. And and don't be afraid to accept help when you genuinely need it from a reputable source.
1: I like that idea Mm. of of trusting your gut and this idea that it, it comes from within. Because many of the women that I have talked to, and even in my own experience, I came up with the idea of Reinvention Rebels, or really it sort of bubbled up when I was being more quiet and still. And I literally was one day meditating, and I heard this tiny whisper reinvention rebels and i was like what reinvention what (laughs) you know reinvention rebels and i had the knowing to write it down because you know sometimes you like dream something and you're like well i'm gonna remember this in the morning and then you wake up and it's just a blank slate and you have you know you can you can't quite grasp whatever that thing is so i think there's something to be said for this idea of looking inside and i'm kind of curious have either of you found that to be something that's been important as you've evolved, this idea of being more quiet, of being more still, of looking inside, and finding inspiration or
3: wisdom in that space? I wake up every day about two, three o'clock in the morning, and I've been told that that's when the world, whether you believe in God, whatever, the universe gets in touch with you, that's when you're quiet, that's when you're still. And often I have awakened from a dream. I have journals, I make handmade journals with a pen built into the pocket and a page holder so that I can wake up in the middle of the night and maybe not even turn on the light, whatever thought I'm thinking, and just write it down. But that's when I am most creative when the phone can't ring, you know, your friends know that whatever kind of phone you have. Even if you have it on silence, they know if they dial your number twice and blow it up, they're going to get through if they're on your emergency list. But in the middle of the night, it's just you and the universe. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, again, as an only child, I have to have my quiet time. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll even tell my husband that, you, know, you have to go now stop talking. I need my quiet time because he's a child of, of eight brothers and sisters. Wow um so i yes i need to have that i do yoga i don't meditate but um i do yoga and that's i always feel the most refreshed you know right after right after that time um but uh and gardening which i know you love too that's just a, a wonderful time to just kind of be out there and just your thoughts just kind of flow in all different directions that's just something for me that i i just love to do so
1: I love that theme. And you can see that it's kind of woven through both Ellen and Lisa that are incredibly creative. And I think for creatives, it does take that silence. I mean, as much as I love people, I also feel like I do get my best ideas. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I'm just doing nothing, and I know in a world in which we live where it's go, 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 multitask, do all these different things, it's hard to sometimes give ourselves permission to literally do nothing, to just sit there and, and to do that and not be on our phones. Because isn't that our natural inclination? Well, I'll just look up, you know, whatever that thing is. But I do feel like we can get inspiration from doing that and it's hard
2: because sometimes i'll you know i'll be doing yoga and i'll do it on my app and there's i know it's 30 minutes so uh, 25 minutes in i'm like god after this right after this i have to get up and do that you know and you're thinking it's really hard to to get it to focus at least for me you know with with that and all the different things that you have to do but it's it's important and it's
1: important part of things that i need to do for myself i love it so For people that are thinking about reinventing themselves, if you're thinking, you know, I might want to do X, Y, or Z, or I have some ideas of what could be possible, or I've always wanted to do X, but I've stopped myself, or we probably all have a hundred different reasons why we haven't done the things we said we want to do. The question gets to be, what will we do to get started? Because someday is always compelling And I'll tell you There's like always a door to clean out There's always something else to do There's a lot of obstacles in our way That prevent us Or we talk ourselves out of doing it So my question for you, Ellen and Lisa Is about what can someone do That has that inkling Maybe they have a knowing feeling Like you've had in the past Like I just know I want to do this Or maybe it's nothing that deep Maybe it's just I'm curious about different things, and I want to explore some of those things. So what is one thing that you think our audience and our listeners, because people are listening to this podcast, not today, but it will also be released as a podcast episode, and they listen from around the world. So what wisdom do you have to share, would you like to share, the two of you, about one thing that's our beautiful audience could do to get started it, it all has to start somewhere right doesn't mean we're trying to complete the journey all at once but we have to kind of get out of the starting block so what advice do you have for the one thing that people can do i'm gonna let you go
3: first <laughs> the mo- the most important thing for me like starting a youtube channel at age 74 start where you are hmm. start where you are There's always, tomorrow never comes. You may not be here tomorrow. Start where you are and go from there. Mm -hmm. It's like almost doing a genealogical chart. You start with yourself, then you plug in your parents, your children, your whatever, and you branch off from there. But you have to have somewhere to start. Start with you, start where you are, and start with today.
2: Yeah. And that's very similar to what I was going to say is just get started, <laughs> you know, and maybe it's easy to say that, but just, you know, if you don't, and then you're, you're going to have regrets maybe later. So uh, I think just, you know, the old Nike, just do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, and sometimes it's harder, easier said than done, but... Um, try not to I'm I'm a famous procrastinator maybe that's why it took also took 11 years for me to do this (laughs) but but, um so I I don't I'm not sure I'm the right person to be asking this but um but yes I I think you just have to know you want to do it and just just do it just do it
1: yeah I think that that's right this idea of just get started and I also I'd add to that getting started with the spirit of imperfect action I know that sometimes we want to do something and do it a certain way or we want to get it just right, but what does that even mean? I think that so much of this is if we can get started and get out of that starting block, even if it's imperfect action and we stumble along the way, there's so much learning in our journey. There's so much we can gain even from our failures. And I know that we live in a world where it's about success. And, fulfill, and failure isn't always seen as something positive, but I am curious about: Do either of you have an example of a time when you failed at something? Because I've I failed at so many things. I feel you know I quit my corporate job to become a health coach because I thought that was it, and realized well I didn't like it, and, and I didn't like running a business, and I miss working with people, and I feel like I you know never made any money, and I really failed at that. However, that failure led me to many other things, including coming to Yale and uh, working in change management and getting into cybersecurity and starting this podcast. And I don't know if those other things would have happened if I hadn't failed at that one thing that I thought at the time was so important. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious as to a failure you might have had that Provided an opportunity to learn a powerful lesson
3: about yourself. (laughs) I have a funny story. I retired, sold my house in Westville, and moved to the family property in North Carolina. Oh, I just knew I had read all the books about farming, about this. (laughs) I had chickens. I had ducks. I had goats. I had... Cane Corso Italian Mastiffs. I was a an urban farmer. I just paid the gardener to go out and plant the stuff. You know, I would draw my plans up. My mother came down one day and she looked at me and I had a pot or something. She said, why are you saving those weeds? <laughs> <laughs> why are you saving these weeds? I had been cultivating and uh, growing something, there were weeds. And then I had, I, I had a the, the 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 contractor who was building my house came in and and he said, Miss Penny, you have got a sweet little garden out there. Why come you don't pick your your peas? I'm like peas. <laughs> What's a pea? What peas? <laughs> purple peas. He said you have purple hull peas. I'm like, is that what those upside down commas were? <laughs> and then uh, one of my friends came over and she's Native American and she said Ellen can I go in your garden I mean everything was perfectly cultivated I said yes so she comes walking in with this okra and I said Vicki did you get this from my garden or your garden she said I got it from your I was like I didn't know okra grew upside down (laughs) you know I was doing my best it was beautiful You know, but I didn't know any better. (laughs) So my mother came one day. She said, just go out there and pick everything you have and bring it in. And she helped me can it and put it away. I had all this stuff. I had no idea. But I knew I had a plan. (laughs) I know I bought the stuff. I had the ground cultivated. All my plans were in place. I just didn't know what I was looking for.
1: I love that. And I love how open you were to discovering it, right? Instead of saying, I can't believe I didn't know that, or what was I thinking? And it was like, oh, okay, please school me. Please help me. Leave me along.
2: <laughs> so it makes me think of this coming Saturday, um, we have our high school all-class reunion. So it's going to be 49 years for me. And it reminds me to what I think was maybe my first failure was when I was in high school, I tried out for the baton squad, because all my friends were on the baton squad, and so I practiced and practiced and practiced, and I thought I was pretty good at it, but then it came for the actual tryouts, and I completely actually hit myself in the face (laughs) with the baton. (laughs) Needless to say, I was not chosen for the baton squad, um, but um, just remember that actually. But that was my very first failure, and there have been you know other things along the way. Um, but you know that old adage: you get you pick yourself up off the ground and and you keep going. Um, you know, that was probably the most embarrassing failure I ever had. but uh, And I've had several gardening failures. I think I'm in the middle of one right now, actually, with my tomatoes. But, um, but yeah, you just you, know, you keep going, and you pull
1: it out and plant in something else. Yeah, so. right. So it teaches us to be resilient, yeah. to mm-hmm. keep going, as you said, to perhaps see new possibilities. Well, that crop didn't work out, so let me plant something new and different that right. maybe I didn't know I even... Needed. Right. And Lisa, I will tell you, I have a similar story from high school when <laughs> I was desperate to be on the competitive dance line uh-huh. and I tried and tried and it was just not meant to be. Right. So right. I do think though that sometimes those ideas, because I, I know it's crushing. It feels so crushing when we put our heart and soul into something and we really want something and we have mm-hmm. all experienced that and it didn't work out the way we had hoped and I know I can feel like just beside myself, but... There's always some lesson in mm. that, that we, if we're open to what that could be, that we can certainly apply to our lives. And I certainly think that's true when it comes to reinvention. There's so many possibilities yeah. and things that we can glean from both the things that work out well and are, we're just kind of moving forward, and then sometimes the obstacles or roadblocks mm-hmm. that we experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we are starting to wrap up, I do want to ask both of you, for one last thing. And the question is, if you had to give your beautiful reinvention journeys a theme or a headline,
3: what would that be? I did it my way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Very good. I can't, I can't beat that. I can't, I can't beat it.
1: <laughs> I love that.
2: What I would say is um, how my discovery helped me rediscover myself
1: Mm, powerful those are both right this idea of standing in our power and and finding our lane and that we can discover so much about ourselves through this process of reinvention even though sometimes you know it's a little shaky and we're unsure and we can all lean into that i don't know how it's gonna work out yeah and you learned a lot
2: about yourself in that journey, and I know you've learned a lot about yourself. Yes. I learned a lot about myself, you know, how strong, how tenacious, you know, I could be uh, and how I could, you know, continue learning as we always do and need to do as we get older is to continue
1: learning. Absolutely. And I, I say a lot about Reinvention Rebels, which are really Brave and unachal, uh, brave and unachal. Uh, oh, I can't even talk anymore. Brave and unapologetic, <laughs> unadul- <laughs> unapologetic women and men, but people who just decide they want to do this and get out there, just as Ellen and Lisa have done. And what I believe is that we all have an inner rebel. I believe that this is within all of us. If we want to reinvent, if we decide that this is important. It's just figuring out that lane, and if we're open to kind of experimenting and playing with it, really anything is possible. So I do want to ask you, Ellen and Lisa, where people can find you, because of course, after hearing all this, whether you're here with us live or you're listening later and you're saying, wow, these two women are fascinating, I want to know more about them. Ellen Pankey, where can
3: people find you online? Well, you can find me, you can email me. My name is Ellen, P-A-N-K-E-Y, at gmail.com. And my little YouTube channel is called GQAT, G-Q-U-A-T, Traditions, with a different spelling on the word traditions, T R A D. I-T-I-O-N-Z-S, and it stands for Garden, Quilt, and Art Traditions, which are the things that I do on my channel, and I talk about whatever comes up, some of the funniest stories you've ever heard. I love it. And mine is, um, I'm on
2: LinkedIn, Lisa Franco, and you can also get on the uh, book website, which is mydearestdarlingbook.com, and uh, you can get a lot of more information about what the book's about, um, you can order a book if you'd like, and um, see some interviews, things like that. But that's where you can find probably the most information, is mydearestdarlingbook.com.
3: Oh, and I forgot. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn, but that's me professionally. <laughs> <laughs> Not when I'm being now you a jerk you <laughs> on, on YouTube. You know, my mother watches me. They call it in the bushes when you don't sign on or anything. Her nurse puts it on. And my mother said, I heard you. You were talking about me. Stop telling people I'm 90-something years old. And why did you do that? I saw you. You had on that red thing in your pearls. Ha! Ha! I
1: love it. I love it. But I bet she's your number one fan.
3: But she is your number one fan. I'm she sure. knows exactly yeah. when I come on. So I have to act up on other people's channels because I know that she's watching and she'll have the grandkids come in our room and put it on her TV and she's going to tell me about it. You said ain't. You didn't grow up saying ain't. Well, I said ain't, Ma. <laughs> So apparently no matter how old we are,
1: our parents are watching.
3: Yes. I love it. So
1: the information for both Ellen and Lisa will be in the show notes if you are listening. So you'll be able to easily access and find and hopefully follow these two really extraordinary women I also hope that you will, if you haven't already listened to the Reinvention Rebels podcast, there are 81 episodes, stories of really amazing women who have done the coolest things. One of them, in fact, is, uh, lives in New Haven, Mary Newell, who, if you don't know her, she is someone to follow. She was always heavy, overweight, and she tried everything. And one day she was at the gym and she was walking on the treadmill and you know she lives in East Rock where so many people run. She's like, I, I want to run too. So she just decided one day to turn up the, the speed a little bit on the treadmill, started jogging. She's like, well, this is pretty good. <laughs> well, that little inkling, again, that idea of that gut feeling, she... Looked around, joined, you know, the local running club. Then she told everybody she knew that she was going to run in the, the a Labor Day road race, you know, the 5K that happens every Labor Day, the New Haven Road Race. And she said, I had to tell everyone to make sure I would actually do it, because otherwise I don't think I would. So she started running, and she, that was at 55. She is now 72. She's run in, and she started, you know, again, starting small. Like you said, just get started. She started out running in 5Ks. Then she started training and went to half marathons. Then she went to marathons. Then she started running in marathons around the world. I'm like, I can never do that, but I love that she's done that. And at 72, she has just run in some race that was over the weekend 100 miles around New York City. Hmm. Wow And I thought And she said that at 72 She's in the best shape of her life ever Now imagine We have all these notions about Who we are as we age And how things change And imagine now saying I'm in the best shape of my life at 72 So she's just a reflection As Lisa and Eleanor Of what's possible That anything is possible for any of us If we decide it can be so And we get started, we find our Reinvention Rebel tribe, we find those people that support and cheer us on, we find the people that believe in us, if we do those things and we are open to sometimes failing and then starting again then that's how I think we get into this idea of reinventing in a way that works for us, that celebrates who we are, where we really can shine our brightest light and that's in essence what this podcast is about is sharing these stories of brave and unapologetic women who are midlife and older to draw inspiration for ourselves, to remind us, whether we're men or women, no matter what what age we are or what we are doing in our lives, that we can do anything as Ellen and Lisa have so beautifully articulated for us today. So you can find the Reinvention Rebels podcast on your favorite podcast platform and also at reinventionrebels.com. I want to thank everybody for coming and joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for
2: having us, Wendy. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for being part of our audience. And and if you have any questions, feel free to ask. Any questions for either Ellen or Lisa? (laughs) Can you say that again? I, there was a, I, we didn't quite hear that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here comes the microphone. Oh, yay. Okay.
4: Oh God, I'm going to start singing. You <laughs>
1: give me a microphone. Go ahead. I love it. <laughs> How
2: did you uh, begin to invest in yourself once you started believing in what you wanted to do? That first step, your camera, your book, your publisher. It's one thing to speak up, but I'm broke, like where do I go from here to make mm. more money in the dream and the path that I want to go to? Mm. so you said invest in yourself how yes, yeah, um, well, you know I go back to that self worth and knowing what you're what you 're capable of and what you 're worth, you know, and that was important for me to <clears throat> excuse me to be able to um, to complete this project and make that investment of time. Uh, as far as the monetary part of it, I was able to. And that was so, you know, being able to rely and accept the help of other people who were able to do this. You know, when I when I put this when I met this family, I said to them, "I'm not doing this to be famous or to make money. I'm I'm doing it because it's a gift back to your family, and that was my kind of payment. You know, in kind was." what it gave to me to be able to give to them even though i didn't know them but uh and and not only to them but to um to all of the people who went through this you know during this this period in history but um it it enriched my life in such a way you know that that was my investment in myself was that the enrichment i got from being able to give this back to their family I mean, one of their children said to me, and this is the first time that they're even reading these letters from their, from their parents, um, said to me, now we're going to get the answers we wish we'd asked our parents, you know, when we were growing up. So when I said I've cried so many times, you know, during this process, I, I got so many like warm feelings and warm fuzzies, you know, from them and also from people who I've spoken to. You know, one of the things I didn't mention was um, I was always a behind-the-scenes kind of a person, and this totally flip-flopped my life where I was now going out and I'm speaking to people and talking to people, and I never really wanted to talk to, to get out and talk to in front of people, but um, but now I am, you know, and it's important for me to do this, you know, now to kind of spread this word, but it this book has kind of affected so many people in so many different ways and you know from young to old and uh you know how how it's kind of um they've gone back you know older people they've gone back and then relived this period of time but also young people kind of getting them to understand this this period of our, of our history so all of that kind of wrapped up in a nutshell that was my the investment that that was kind of what i got out of it um, and the the monetary part was is side because this was more of a personal thing for me
3: and uh, may I say this social media is your friend. I never went on started my YouTube channel I didn't think anybody would listen or li- and who wants to listen to some seventy four old late <laughs> year old lady telling funny stories about what she did like for example I told the story about. I came to Connecticut from North Carolina, and it was a few years ago, and we were up on the third floor with my great-grandchildren, and some, one of the songs came out with Beyonce, All the Single Ladies, while <laughs> Nana jumped up and put her heels on, Ooh, I was doing the All the Single Ladies dance. I went downstairs in the kitchen, and my daughter, who's like my mom, she says, Mom, are you enjoying the children? yes I had my pearls on and she said all the single ladies I'm like who snitched (laughs) (laughs) but I want to say this that when you're your genuine self whatever your story is somebody wants to hear it somebody Mm -hmm. needs to hear it Mm -hmm. somebody will listen Mm -hmm. I'm able to be monetized I did not even uh, apply for like memberships or any of the things that you do on YouTube sometimes uh, like, I do have, a, like, a cash app. People will send me, like, $100. They will send seeds for my garden. I entered a contest for uh, gardening. I think I told Wendy. And I won. What the heck? I have hydroponic Two hydroponic units in my senior apartment in Westville. (laughs) I couldn't even eat at my table because there were seeds growing in little (laughs) things. But I won. And I I won an extra hydroponic unit and 150 packs of seeds. Wow. But you have to open the door for opportunity to come to Mm -hmm. you. You can't stay in your house, in your apartment, in your phone and say, well, what can I do something? Just do it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's right I'll I'll add one last thing Which is that When you figure out Whatever that thing is You want to do Or birth into the world Tell everybody At least people you trust About it Because It is amazing What can manifest When you start putting Your idea out there Like I just started Telling people I'm going to have a podcast I didn't know anything About even podcasting At the time I just decided that Somehow it was all Going to work out And then one of my friends At work said Well I can edit The podcast for you So I wouldn't have had that help, which she even did for free for quite some time. And I wouldn't have had that help if I hadn't started to tell people, I trust about my dream. So I think it's really important that you start talking about it. It's helpful to begin to manifest whatever that is we want to create.
2: I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. Ah. (laughs) I'm going to tell everybody about this.
3: Thank you so much. (laughs) I want to say, I, I have people that come to my little YouTube channel. They tell me, I'm in Australia. I'm in Tanzania. I'm in New Zealand. And I'm like, to listen to this little old Nana tell her funny stories. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is possible. Anybody else? Yeah. Yes, there's a question.
1: Got some microphone.
3: Wow,
4: what a great podcast and interviews. This is like such a treat on a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. Thank you, all three of you for doing this um, you, yeah. uh, i'm I'm a first generation in this country, and uh, as an immigrant children um, I'm pretty much like the source of many things for my parents and um, um, I hear all of three of you talk about like the power of community. Um my mom's gone through a lot and and, and and she's such a lovely person but she just like got beaten up so much in life and I want so much for her to kind of like now live, you know. She no longer need to suffer and I hear all these inspiring stories and I'm wondering how can I also inspire her to do to reinvent herself and to live her life like you three are with yours oh, any tip amazing. on that i be there for her like you
2: are already and i'm sure you have already inspired her you know and uh, be the support for her that she needs and i'm sure she's support for you as well but you know, be there to listen be there to listen to her needs her dreams and uh lift her up
3: And encourage her to go outside of her traditional communities. My grandson, I have one grandson, and he's half Thai. He speaks Thai. When he came to my apartment in Westville, I cooked something. He said, Nana, what is that? Those are collard greens. Oh, okay. So he picks up his chopsticks and starts eating collard greens. (laughs) He's the only kid I ever saw eating collard greens with chopsticks. And now he's 27. He graduated from USC with honors. He's a pro golfer. And I tell him about some of the things we did. When I brought him to New Haven, I took him to the golf club up there, the Yale putting course, you know, different things. Just expose him to different things that he personally would not have tried to do. I'm like, let's go do it. We went down to the wharf, and I didn't even have a fishing pole. I had a dress on. I climbed over the railing and borrowed a fishing pole (laughs) from somebody to give him a new experience, (laughs) and all he caught was a pair of somebody's old drawers in the water. (laughs) Like <laughs> you know, <it. laughs> like things that have no okay. meaning, but it exposes you to mm. other people. We didn't know the people we borrowed the fishing pole from, but mm. he's a grown man now, and he has a life experience mm. that yeah. he never would have had before. Yeah.
2: And we talked about comfort zone, right? So, yeah, help her get out of the of her comfort zone. Yes, you know.
3: I also think that if you
1: talk to her about what interests her, which I'm sure you already know, some of the dreams she has. And then you explore it together. So she doesn't Mm -hmm. have to feel so alone, but maybe it's going to a talk or whatever that thing is that she wants to do. Because I think that reinvention doesn't have to be this huge thing. I know sometimes we're like, I'm going to reinvent myself. And it has to be like this very big epic thing. Like one woman I know reinvented herself and moved to Portugal to retire. Mm -hmm. But reinvention can be as big or small as you want it to be. It could be a tiny thing. Just getting out of her comfort zone. And I think that when we can start small and then when we feel more confident that you talked about and we feel like we have a little bit of success, then it empowers us to think a little bit bigger or maybe make, you know, cast a net a little bit more, you know, a little broader. So just that getting started and perhaps doing it together and supporting her in, Something so she feels safe and she feels comfortable. And when she feels really good about that, then, you know, there's so many. Cause I feel like once we kind of get started, it opens up so many possibilities. Mm-hmm. And then we can have this burst of like, wow, well, I did that. And now I could, I could do anything or I could, yeah. you know, go a little further. So I think that you can be such a catalyst and a conduit for her in discovering things about herself. Because so much at the end of the day about reinvention is self-discovery, as they so beautifully talked about.
3: And can I say something? I'm not self-promoting, but I am. Put my YouTube channel on. You could say I met this almost seventy-five-year-old lady. One day she's rock painting. The next day she's crocheting. She is the silliest rabbit I ever saw. <laughs> I'm definitely she. She
4: loves her iPad, so definitely going to give her a YouTube yeah. channel. No. I love. It. That's a great question. Thank you, you me know, so much.
2: I, I think that we have to not not be hard so hard on ourselves ah, too, yes. and you know, kind of laugh. And it, when that seagull flew over, it reminded me of something. Really, if I have time to talk about um to like laugh at yourself too for things you know that happen um when I was working at Channel 8 we were doing um a big event at Mystic Seaport with the Amistad and they were having under a tent just like this and they were having an, an outdoor luncheon and there was a big speaker up there talking and I was sitting in the back and and all of a sudden I felt something like a weight on top of my head uh-oh <laughs> and it was a pigeon, landed (laughs) on my head. And so he screamed, and everybody turned around and looked at me. But you really have to kind of laugh at yourself, you know, for those types of things. They stopped talking up in front and said something pointed me out. Um, So it's just kind of a little funny aside that, you know, I thought, just just laugh at yourself and, you know, accept the things that, you know, that might happen um, along the way.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for coming today. We really, really appreciate it. You were
3: awesome. This was fun.
1: Tired of waiting for someday? Feel like you're too old or it's too late to reinvent yourself? Unsure of how you'd even get started on the path to midlife reinvention? I'm here to help. As your guide on the side and host of the top 2% globally rated Reinvention Rebels podcast, I've been around the reinvention block a lot. Here's a simple way you can get started. Sign up for my free audio. Five questions to spark your curiosity and inspire your Reinvention Rebel journey. It all starts with getting curious about what's possible. And I've got five questions to help tease out some very cool ideas. Let's get started. Details are in the show notes.